Would you turn in your Bibles today to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Message is titled, In Times Countdown. And a little bit later on, I'll tell you why I'm speaking this message this morning. But I want, to, uh, I want you to be caught up with what God is doing and why he's doing it. First, I'm sorry, it's 2 Thessalonians. I think I made a mistake. I told you first, didn't I? It is 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So he that sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember when I was still with you, I told you these things? This is really a part one of a couple of parts that I wanted to share with you beginning this morning. The history of the world will show you many, many great accomplishments, amazing accomplishments. And uh, just uh, accomplishments sometimes that we take for granted and kind of a been there, did that type of a thing. But in addition to these great accomplishments by tremendous people, people that have influenced the world, people that have done great things for our culture, for our society, there is also on the other side of that coin a host of tremendously evil leaders. The world has had evil leaders since the days of Genesis. The 20th century has witnessed a host of evil. Evil dictators such as Stalin, Hitler, Mao, Saddam Hussein. And in this century, we've seen not just a, an evil leader, but we've seen a whole different culture, a, a, a group, if you will, that we have simply called ISIS, where evil seems to simply control every every element of their lives, of that particular group. Now, on the religious side of the equation, we have seen a variety of false Christs, false teachers, cult leaders, countless others who play out their religious games as wolves in sheep's clothing. But I tell you, there is one who will come that is going to, without question, surpass all of them. This is a person that is yet to be revealed, who will be the most wicked person to ever walk on the face of this planet. He is best known as the Antichrist. He goes by other names, such as the Beast, the Man of Lawlessness, the Son of Destruction. Ever since the moment when the angelic being Lucifer was cro had crossed the line and declared himself to be like God, there has been a rebellion 
A third of the angels, the Bible say, were cast out of heaven. And these became the demonic forces of the culture that, we, that even we live in today. This is clearly the work of the devil. This is clearly the work of an anti-God type spirit and being. We need to understand this, folks. We need to accept the fact that not everything is going to turn out just wonderful and great if we just pat everybody on the head and say, I'm okay and so are you. There is evil in this culture and it needs to be understood how it got there and where it's going. The term antichrist is used only by John in his letters and teaches us there is an ever-increasing level of evil that will culminate in a seven-year period called the Great Tribulation in which one man will emerge as the Antichrist. There has always been much speculation about the identity of Antichrist, but that is all it is. Listen to me carefully. It is merely speculation. Merely that. There is absolutely no reason for any Christian anywhere to try to start guessing who is the Antichrist. And while I'm at it, there is absolutely no reason whatsoever for somebody to try and say, we will set the date of the return of Jesus Christ. When somebody is speaking to you that in those terms, you are talking to a false teacher. And you need to understand that. There is no reason, no reason whatsoever, and nobody, you can't tell me, God told me this, because I will tell you that was not God, that was the enemy of your soul that spoke in those terms. I know this, and this may sound like a broken record because you hear me say it so often, but it's absolutely imperative that we know our Bible and what our Bible says about the coming of Jesus Christ. There's clearly, <coughs> excuse me, there is clearly a combination of hypocrisy, false teaching, and heresies that flow, and the temple of this flow is going to increase and try to get into the church and become a factor of deception. Jude, the third verse of Jude, simply has four words that captures my attention. It says, contend for the faith. Jude was written near the end of the Old Testament period. I'm sorry, the New Testament period. And we contend for the faith in 2016. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, the Bible says, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have, have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. John is speaking to underscore the urgency of the last hour, and he refers to the last hour as a, as a season of evil. This is just one of two ages. <clears throat> this present age, and what the Bible describes as the age to come. The last hour began with the first coming of Jesus and will end when he returns for the rapture of his church. That is also the moment in the great tribulation will begin and soon after that, the man I sin, this person called the Antichrist, will be revealed. 
Paul, in writing to the Second Thessalonians, or this letter to the, to the Thessalonians, is dealing with, <coughs> excuse me, is dealing with their loss of hope, their loss of encouragement, their loss of strength, their joy. They were in a sense of confusion, if you will, because not only were they under the intensity of persecution that came from Rome, but they were also under an attack from false teachers, false prophets. Notice what Paul said here. He says, he says look, don't be troubled uh, by either spirit or a word by letter. Notice this, by letter. People were writing letters to the church and signing Paul's name. He says, stop, don't do that. And Paul has been instructing the church. This attack was deception. And these teachers were able to introduce a lot of confusion. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Turn there with me just for a moment. Daniel chapter 9. In the Old Testament, you'll find Daniel following Ezekiel. And in chapter 9, there is a particularly revealing passage right here of simply three verses that begin to lay out this season of the end time. It begins in verse 24. <coughs> the Bible says, Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall and even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, and for the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end shall be a flood. Till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of that week he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering, and, the wing of, and on the wing of abominations shall make one who makes desolate, even <clears throat> until the consummation which is determined, poured out on the desolate. Now, there's a lot there. And I'm not going to walk into the 70 weeks of Daniel. I've taught on that several times. I hope to be able to do it again sometime in a, <clears throat> in a Bible class setting and everything. But there are 70 weeks of prophecy. 69 of those weeks have already occurred. They occurred, <clears throat> and the end of that 69th week occurred very simply when Jesus entered Jerusalem, you remember the words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Prophetic. And that starts a period. A period of the church age and then the final age that is yet to come. Note the rise of the prince who is to come, a reference to the Antichrist. At first the Antichrist will pre pretend to be Israel's protector. However, halfway through this period, he will show his true colors and turn on the Jewish people and commit all kinds of defiling acts, terrible times of judgment across the entire world. The entire world will be engulfed 
in these acts of judgment, these acts of deception, all of this. I want you to understand Paul's motive here. He's not trying, I'm sorry, he is trying to be pastoral and he is not trying to be sensational or anything like that. He's trying to correct an error that was robbing the people of victory and of joy and their happiness in, in Christ and their hope. The deception, back to 2 Thessalonians again in verse 3, let no one deceive you, that day will not come until a falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. We see a falling away, we understand that. There is a season in which there is a falling away from the church. And people become deceived. And unfortunately, deception is very common in the church today. And it will continue to grow. One of the reasons the church faces the constant threat of deception is that Satan disguises himself, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, as an angel of light. And that passage goes on and says, his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. It sounds good. It sounds pleasing. It sounds like something that should be. But check it out with the word of God, saints of God. Check it out with the word of God. Nothing, nothing must get past this word. This is the filter through which all things must flow. It's not how I feel, it's not how, whether I get a little tingle in my spine or something like that, that's meaningless, it's nothing. It has to pass the test of the word. It must. So how do you avoid this? Turn with me for a moment to <clears throat> Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter four. Ephesians chapter four, there's a passage here that is very important to the church and it's very important for us today. <coughs> the Bible says in verse 11, and he gave some to be prophet, I'm, I'm sorry, apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Folks, these are gifts given to the church for the equipping, the equipping portion, portion of our lives. In other words, they, they steady us, they teach us, they show us how to live. They, they speak into our lives. All of, these, all of these different gifts. But I want you to park right here for a moment in verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Those are big words there. The Bible says we should no longer be children. And the word there, it's an interesting word. Paul is talking about spiritual children here. He's not talking about little boys and little girls. He's not talking, he's talking about spiritual children. And he uses a word here. The word is nepios. And it means one who doesn't talk. Deloney's little guy, Caleb, he's three months old. He does not talk. He will eventually. And when he starts, he's going to have lots of things to say. Lots of stuff. But he is a nepios, one who doesn't talk. He's a baby. 
Do you see how you apply that? Tuck that into the, tuck that into the lines here that Paul is saying here. He says <clears throat> that we should no longer be nepios. In other words, children that, that we don't know how to talk and we're, we're just little babies and things like that. God wants us to grow. God wants the body of Christ to grow and to be strong and to have a spiritual strength to it and a spiritual backbone. He's saying that people will fall to every religious fad that comes along because they do not have a thorough knowledge of the word. In other words, they're carried along by every winded doctrine. Folks, I've been in the ministry for a long time and I've seen these religious fads come, I watched them fade, I watched different ones come, I watched them fade. And you know what's interesting? A lot of the same people just are on that same roller coaster. What's next? What's next? This is next. Let me tell you, the people that immerse themselves into the Word of God are the people that are doing this. They are growing. Their spiritual strength is growing. When something false comes along, bang, we know it. They don't even have to open their Bible half the time. They, you know why? Because God puts something inside their heart, their life, and immediately it, that alarm goes off. With me, I call it the red flag. And up the pole, that red flag goes, and I say, uh-oh, this isn't quite right. And folks, I want you to know something. Quite right isn't good enough. Get it right. Not 90% right, but 100% right. <clears throat> Let me give you a quick snapshot of what I think a solid church means. A solid church that is spiritually equipped. A solid church that is moving forward. First of all, the members are strong in their doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is simply this. It's the teaching of the word of God. They are strong in that, they know it, they understand it, and they reach out, they, they take this word that has become ingrained into their life, has become encoded, if you will, into their hearts, and they take this word, they're, they're, they're virtually compelled, and they take this word to touch other people's lives and to, sp and to allow God to speak into their lives. The second thing is, they... <clears throat> They, they work in, God, does, God doesn't give us knowledge just to keep for ourselves. God gives us knowledge to share. God gives us insight. We want to be able to share this with a culture that definitely, that desperately needs a guidepost along the way so we know where we're going. God doesn't equip us to stagnate but to serve. If you bring all this equipping into your life and all of this knowledge and insight into your life and you don't do anything, if there isn't any kind of, you're kind of like the Dead Sea. There's an, in, there's an inflow, but there isn't anything going out. And the next thing you know, this thing becomes stagnant and it's not worth anything. Number four, the goal is not to be complacent or to self, be self-satisfied, but to serve. But to serve. A church like this I think, I think a church like this needs to be aware of that kind of a risk. It's easy for us to sit here and say, 
I'm really satisfied with things. I'm really happy that the church is full this morning. I'm really happy that we can pay our bills. I'm really happy that we have a sense of God's presence in the place. I'm really happy. Let's just keep it all here. Let's just, let's just, you know, let's just come in here. You know, it's like Peter, James, and John, you know, they went up on the mountain with Jesus. And Jesus, guess who showed up? Whoa, Elijah shows up. Heavy hitters, Moses. Oh boy. And I think, I'm not sure, I think it was Peter. He said, wow, let's, let's build some little uh, tents up here. Let's build some little houses up here. We want to stay here. This is great. And what did Jesus say? Guys, this isn't where it's at. It's down there. It's down there where we're going to rub shoulders in the marketplace where we live, where we do business, where our kids go to school, all of these places where we're rubbing shoulders with a culture that needs to sense what God is doing in our lives and to be able to bear a witness and not become complacent. <clears throat> Listen carefully. <coughs> Immature Christians are very gullible. And throughout all of the history of the church, there's been no period of time, I don't believe there's any, I haven't lived through all the histories of the, histories of the church, believe it, I've studied enough about it, but I don't believe there's been a time where there's been more, more, uh, a time where more believers have fallen into foolishness than in what is happening today. Despite our education, despite our freedoms, despite our access to the word, sound teaching, every religious huckster on virtually any street corner can get a crowd. And we need to be careful. The last several years, there's been multiple surveys, many of them, dozens, taken that show a continuing decline in biblical knowledge and understanding. And believe me, this is having a very powerful effect on the church. That's why we're strong here at this church. It's the book, folks. It's the book. It's not Oprah. It's not Dr. Oz. It's the book. It's the book. You see me teaching Oprah and Dr. Oz, you really ought to kick me out of this place. <clears throat> so I'll keep preaching the word. Folks, I believe there's a lot of preachers to blame for this. It's because a message of easy believism, you can get a crowd. Pastor, make me feel good on Sunday morning. Make me feel happy on Sunday morning. I don't want, I don't want a message that is going to challenge me to change the way I live, the way I think, the way I act. I just want to feel good in church. Well, I, I believe you should feel good in church. But I also believe at the same time, you need to hear what God is saying to the church. You need to hear what, hear what God is speaking to the church. And allow that, allow that message of God to begin to fill your life. To move into your heart in unique, special, powerful ways that changes hearts and lives. Again, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, Paul simply says to grow up in all aspects of him who is the head, 
even Christ. Grow up in all things. Not just the, not just the things that we sort of cherry pick and like, but all of the things, all of the, the broad things that God would bring into our lives and into our world. What does this spiritual growth look like? Let me give you four quick hits. First, it is Christ-likeness. Second, it is stability. Third, it is truth joined with love. Fourth, it is cooperation with each other. Listen to me, saints. We do not need to be <clears throat> living in a day in which we fear judgment. I told you at the beginning I was going to tell you why I'm preaching this message today. Uh, on social media, interesting things on social media. It's half crazy. Anyway, somebody had put up there on social media, and I saw it several times. And so, and, and I knew one of the persons that actually put it up. It said, it's, there was a picture, and there were, I think, three or four trumpets. And it says, the trumpets of God's judgment are about to blow. And I tapped in on the comment, not until the rapture occurs. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Woo. Boy, did I get my ears pinned back quick. I got them pinned back by people who don't know their word. Who simply don't know their word. Back here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord. That word coming? That word there? You look in a good, you look in a good Greek dictionary, and that Greek dictionary is going to tell you that word is parousia. You know what that word means? Parousia is a taking out of the world, the saints of God. It is, it is liftoff time. It is the rapture of the church that he's talking about right here. He's talking about in the coming of the Lord. Whew, and out of here we are. Folks, don't look for holes in the roof. By the way, don't. Gee. Stop that. However, I would advise you in here who are not saved, and maybe people in here are not saved, if you're going to take a plane somewhere, make sure you have at least one sinner sitting in the right or the left-hand seat. Because if they're both saved, you're in trouble. Because that thing's going to go down. And it'll go down fast. Do you get that? Who didn't get that? Who, who just, I have no idea what you're talking about. Who didn't get that? Hey, look, I had you in my foundations class, buddy. And you got through there somehow. It means that the rapture of the church occurred. And one of those pilots was saved, was taken in the rapture. The other pilot who was not saved is going to sit here. And one of those pilots can land the plane for you. Are you saved? Yeah. Okay, good. Then you have nothing to worry about. Go ahead and jump on board. 
Folks, we do not need to fear that day of judgment. Let me close. Paul says, we are not in darkness. Hear these words very carefully because they are very important. These are my last words this morning. We are not in darkness that the day should overtake us as a thief. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 4 it says, You are sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor are we of the darkness. We have light. The Bible goes on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. The Bible says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us, listen to me, from the wrath that is to come. We are the bride of Christ, folks. People who know Christ. The people who follow Christ. People who live with Christ embedded in their hearts and their lives as saved people. Christ followers. We are Christ followers. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. God is not going to say, let my bride get drugged through the tribulation. Let my bride get drugged through the destruction. Get, let my bride get drugged through all of the judgments and all of these things that are here to come. I'm taking my bride home to be with me forever. It's in the book. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, concerning the coming, the parousia of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said to his own disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. For in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come again. There it is. I will come again. We look for the blessed hope this morning, saints. The blessed hope. And he is coming for this church. And that means you. And that means me. That means us. Donnelly, would you come? We're going to pray. Would you stand with me as we do pray? Folks, I give you a thumbnail only, just a bare thumbnail. It wasn't much of a, th it was a little finger thumbnail of what God has for us. God, in his word, opens up a whole panorama of where we go from here. But I do know this. I know this beyond any shadow of any doubt in my mind or in the word of God that the next event, the next prophetic event, is not us plunging into a tribulation, but us being taken out of this world, lift, literally lifted out, to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we be with him forever. We have loved ones that have died, and they're buried, they're in cemeteries, God's word says, they shall go first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to be with the Lord forever. That's his promise. That's his word. God, doesn't, God isn't short on his word. God doesn't go back on his word. And that's our word this morning. As we begin an Advent season here,
I want us to know there's great hope, tremendous hope. I want us to take the hope that God has implanted, embedded into our lives, and take that same hope and allow the world to know how good God is and that he's given us a Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your amazing word. We thank you. We thank you for the word of prophecy, which is not meant to frighten us, but to be an encouragement, to be a strength in our lives. And so, Father, we thank you for that. Father, I pray for people here that maybe just sitting on the, sort of on the fence today, not knowing. People, there, there, there's probably people here that they're not sure whether they would go to heaven or not. They're not sure. They hope they are. They hope they're right with you, but they're not certain. They can't say with 100%, I know that I know that I know. Father, I want them to know that God forgives sin and God redeems people. God changes hearts. God changes lives. In fact, God can change the entire trajectory of your life. I want you to pray with me this morning, especially people you don't know Jesus. Just pray with me right now. Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. I admit that I am a sinner. I can't save myself. I can't rely on good works. I can't rely on church membership. I can't rely on all kinds of things that are happening today. But I ask you and only you to come and be the Lord and Savior of my life. I ask you, I invite you, I believe with all of my heart on Jesus Christ as my Lord. Come into my heart. I believe you died for me and I believe you rose from the dead. Today, I willingly give you my life and my heart. Save my soul today in Jesus' name. And now, Father, help us to live for you. Help us to really live it out. Live it out. Help us to grow in our faith and our walk with you. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.